0: Good morning. This is Anthony Nayagan, and I'm starting a new series in which we will discuss mind in the context of spirituality. In In this series, we will talk about a variety of concepts in spirituality as they relate to our consciousness. Our conscious energy um, and as in the mysteries of scriptures in Christianity and even other religions of the world. In this video I will introduce the meditations of mindfulness, the meditation of formlessness and the meditation of mindlessness. And. In this we will inquire into the mysteries, as in the Bible, as in Vedanta and uh, as in Tripitaka, and that is a a scripture in Buddhism. We will look into all of that. And uh, we will continue this discussion every Sunday, meaning every Sunday I will come up with a new uh, series of video. Okay, um, so let's let's get started. To get started, let's understand what is philosophy. See, philosophy is a study of the fundamental nature of knowledge, reality, and the existence, especially when considered as an academic discipline. So, in other words, in philosophy what we are doing is we are delving into complex subject matters such as life itself, our knowledge, our existential reality, and and attempt to make an academic sense of what they are. So in other words, it is a process in which we comprehend complex phenomenon in a way human mind can process it. So, is theology a branch of philosophy? If we imagine God, that is Theo, as a complex phenomenon, then theology is certainly a branch of philosophy. So, what is wrong with theology as philosophy? See, as in any human way of learning, theology is a process of theoretical reductionism, in which important elements could be easily sidelined, so that the remaining elements come together in a logical order by which our minds can comprehend a phenomenon. See, in other words, See, we are delving into a complexity that in reality is of infinite, omnipotent, omnipresent nature. So how do we make sense out of it in a theological or philosophical order? We don't have a choice, but we need to sideline a lot of mysteries in the process of it. For instance, I'll give you an example. Jesus says, Whoever believes in Me may have eternal life. But in Christian theology, eternal life begins after we die. So how can something that has a clear and defined beginning be eternal? Anything that has a beginning will have an end. That is according to the Bible and the scriptures of all the other religions. Eternity as such has no conceptual beginning or an end. See, infinity has no point of origin or no point of end. It's infinity. See, that's what God is. That's what omnipresence means. Therefore, when we say life is eternal, our life has no beginning, no end, isn't it? So what was Jesus talking about? In Buddhism, Buddha teaches us Nirvana. See, Nirvana has several other meanings. Generally speaking, it means the end of everything. In simple sense, it means death, cessation, dissolution and disappearance. And Nirvana is anything that signals the end of everything. In a spiritual sense, it means the end of individuality, beginness, personality, or individual existence. See, in all of these, Nirvana signifies a beginning, and that is because of an end. But Nirvana actually is its formlessness. You know, we are entering into a formless void that we already are. See? And that is why it is Nirvana. We will will go into it more, Uh, but it is something, the nirvana is a being that is already within us, and that is the truth. In Hinduism, it teaches us nirvana. Nirvana, commonly known as moksha, which is heaven itself, is the reuniting of Brahman, the universal god, with our own nirvana. So the nirvana within us and the nirvana of God becoming one and the same. Is there scriptural references to this in the Bible? Absolutely there are. Okay, but I'm referring to Hinduism because it readily makes sense. That's why in Christianity, those are mysteries we need to go delve deeper and deeper into. See, but when we are looking at other religions and other scriptures and other interpretations of it, this phenomenon of our life, evolving as moksha, which is heaven itself, in our lifetime, it's missing in mindful interpretations, in philosophical and theological interpretations. See, as far as Christianity is concerned, the very words which I just mentioned in Matthew 3.15, which is Whoever believes in Me, may have eternal life. Think about it. Eternal life. That is Nirvana. Nirvana in our life itself. So there is Nirvana in Christianity. see but nirvana even if we try to comprehend unfortunately that's what we have to do see i am talking to people who are mindful so i need to break it down and 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 get to a source intelligent point and start defining it and then building it back in to to, to make sounds to make sense of nirvana And that's what I have to do, and that's what I'm doing now. See, but nirvana is not, it cannot be conceptualized in reality. Because it is not a state of mind. It is not mindfulness. It is actually a being. But the theology of Buddhism, Hinduism, and Christianity alternate between the state of mind and the state of being. Even though Christ, several saints in the Catholic traditions, Buddha, they have attained Nirvana. But you see, when we read about them, we read with our minds. We don't readily see what they in fact attained. See nirvana, it is so simple at the same time, so complex, it defies all dualistic intelligent definitions. So we cannot, in fact, get to a source intelligence and observe it and define it as something that has two outcomes. And then build uh, our theory based on those outcomes. We cannot do that. See, when we do that, we altogether sideline the concept of Being, because the logical mind cannot comprehend the phenomenon of Being. Being requires observation, not logical learning. It requires observation in an abstract frame of mind. Then we will get a glimpse of the being we are. See, as I said, logical mind does not Comprehend Nirvana as being. Our learning has a lot to do with the perceptions and knowledge we already have. Our learning is the function of what we already know. If a new phenomenon such as quantum physics enters our mind, and if no perceptions of quantum ideas in our psyche, We will not understand it right away but accept it because everybody else is accepting it. That is what church says, faith, believe in something that doesn't make sense. Or we will leave that theory for the nerds in our society. If the new phenomenon such as mystical theology enters our mind, and if no perceptions of spirituality exist in our psyche, we will live the theory for the religious people in the church. Let the monks do it, let the priests do it, let the ministers do it, let the nuns do it. It's not meant for us. We have faith. See, when a skillful and articulate master, or a teacher, systematically breaks down mysticism and takes you to a point of source intelligence, defines the source observation in dualistic intelligence, and re-engineers the fragments in an order that already exists in our psyche, we will understand it. and. Uh, That's what skillful teachers do, they craft common pain points in our existential reality to get our attention, so that we believe and we will develop faith in something that does not make sense in their interpretations. See, and the fear of pain, that's exactly where everything gets started. See, in Hinduism, they introduced reincarnation, karma, varna, and the caste systems. See, these things are not in the Hindu Vedantic or Vedic scriptures. See, these evolved as Dharma, Dharma is actually an interpretation, or the theological interpretations of what is there in Vedanta, what is there in the Vedas. In other religions, there is Dharma. And Dharma means multiple meanings in Eastern religions, as in Hinduism, as in Buddhism, Jainism, Sikhism and even Islam. But the concept of Dharma in all religions is moral theology. In other words, interpreted versions of the scriptures. I'll give you an example. See, in recent history, we have come across Christians, Westerners, being slaughtered in the name of God. In the Middle East they did that. Many Westerners died and their dharma is, see, when we kill infidels, we attain moksha. Even in Islam, the Quran says the moksha can be realized in this lifetime. In Quran, Infidels are not defined as people of other religions, or the Westerners, or the people who do not believe in Islam. Infidels are defined as the demons, infidels are defined as the demonic people who are against Islam. But the Dharma interprets that as people of other religions. So in other words, the interpreted versions of scriptures in the form of Dharma or Moral Theology, could be altogether wrong. Let me give you an example. See, when we are looking for pain points in the public psyche, in the secular psyche, see, these theologians are looking for, you know, specific pain points, what is hurting them the most. See, in the eastern traditions it is karma, In the western traditions, it's the fear of death, fear of a punishing God, fear of eternal damnation, fear of unforgivable sin against the Holy Spirit. Then it goes on to explain the complexities of karma and dharma by defining the dualistic counterpart that is adharma or sin. See, in other words, in Christianity, is sin itself. See, if we study the catechism, the catechism talks extensively about sin, but not as much as about righteousness. Why, brothers and sisters? This discussion started with the spirituality of mindfulness. Therefore, the real question is, what does spirituality has to do with human mindfulness? Matthew 16, 23 says, Jesus says to Peter, You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. See, this is the new versions of the Bible, but I have read the same verse in other languages. That pretty much translates, Peter, you don't have the mind of God, but human mind. besides in 1 corinthians 2:16 says but we have the mind of christ both verses contradict human mindfulness in the process of comprehending the mysteries of and about god but in Matthew 1623, Jesus also contrasts the mind of God against the mind of a human. So what is mind of a human? You know something that fascinates me about the life of St. Paul. See, St. Paul is esteemed as an Apostle of theology. Well, he had, you know, trainings as a Pharisee, um, and and all a Sadducee, I'm not sure, in Mosaic laws and and, uh, the Scriptures. So you see, when we say the scriptures becoming laws, moral theology is already in existence. So in the beginning and of, of the life of Saint Paul, you will see moral theology being interpreted over and over and over again in all his writings. He was stuck in a jail cell, and he was writing. See, when someone begins to write his thinking, it goes on to another dimension, another dimension of contemplation, another dimension of research, another dimension to understand the truth another dimension to understand the mysteries. See writing gets you into that realm of consciousness quite easily, quite naturally. And in that realm of consciousness, towards the end of, you know, his ministry as an Apostle of Jesus, St. Paul declares, but we have the mind of Christ. Is there a difference between the mind of Christ and our mind? Is there a difference between The mind of our Father in heaven, and our mind. Keep these thoughts in in mind, and we will meet again next Sunday in my second series. And I hope you follow along, but thank you so much for listening thank you so much for watching this video please continue to watch and subscribe to this channel so you will get notified of the new video that is coming up thanks again